0: Once again, Chelsea fans, welcome to the latest View from the Bridge podcast. The international break is almost over. Premier League football is set to return this weekend when Chelsea take on Aston Villa. I'm Scott Trotter, Chelsea reporter at Football.London, and today I'm joined by my fellow Chelsea writer, Bobby Vincent. How are you doing, Bobby?
1: I'm good, Scott, thank you. I'm missing Adam Newsom, who announced he was leaving. Uh, what was it last week? Now, it's just me, just me and Scott now. So we'll try and um, we'll try and keep you guys updated, like Adam did. But yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm looking forward to the national break being over, as I'm sure you are. Always just seems to drag on, even though it's only been one and a half weeks. Um, I think it's the final one of the season, right? So you know, all positive from here. We can just watch Chelsea for the rest of the season.
0: Yeah, and and hopefully that is positive with. Champions League football to come and plenty to play for in the Premier League in terms of hopefully seeing Chelsea rise up from that 10th position, maybe into a European qualifying spot if if they can get a bit of form together. Um, But as much as, I guess, most of us probably are going to be pleased to see the back of the international break, it's been in some ways a pretty successful one for Chelsea. Kovacic scored a brace. On a Tuesday night, Enzo Fernandez got a goal, Christian Pulisic has had an impact for the USA, Dennis Sicaria for Switzerland, Noni Madweke for the under 21s had that amazing sort of 26 minute cameo. Um it's been promising on that front. There's been a couple of players return early, and um, providing those issues aren't too serious. That'll be a positive for Chelsea as well. Reese James came out of the England squad over the weekend as he kind of manages that issue that he has been uh I guess, since the start of this year. Hopefully that isn't too bad. We'll find out on Friday for certain from Graham Potter the severity of that injury, whether it just needs managing. And I guess that'll be the, the case going forward, particularly with Real Madrid coming up and uh, Kai Havertz to the Germany squad through illness. So hopefully he'll be recovered for the weekend as well. But uh, Bobby, you've had a bit of a look around the international break. Who's impressed you so far? And and I guess is, is it a positive to see some Chelsea players getting some momentum before the return?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, I think it was good to see Maduweke, um last week, even though it was only for 26 minutes. Because you know, we haven't actually seen too much of him yet um, at Chelsea. I think he's played he's paid like 170 minutes so far, spread across four games. So he's he's not really been too involved. And he's he's also a really exciting player. He's a he's a very direct dribbling winger. You know, the sort of um, players you pay your money to see and. We haven't really seen that at Chelsea yet, even during his games. He showed a couple of glimpses of what, you know, what he can do. He's got undoubted talent. And it was, yeah, it was good to see he came on for, like you said, 26 minutes, I think. Got himself a goal um, and set up two goals as England thrashed France 4-0, I think, which was in itself quite a surprising scoreline. When you think of um, the sort of players France have produced over the recent years, you think that their under-21s would be a really um tough outfit to beat but that wasn't the case um yeah obviously kovacic got two last night enzo fernandez got one i i I just saw enzo fernandez's goal um literally moments before we started recording this and it was a really good goal um keeper didn't even move he's absolutely smashed it from the edge of the area kovacic's uh two goals were also the not necessarily the Kovacic goal we um come used to seeing because he's usually it's a really good uh you know, well struck goal, but the first goal in particular was quite impressive how he was almost anticipating the, I don't know if you've seen it, Scott, the the keeper saved it and he um yeah, anticipated the rebound, which I don't think we'd necessarily see that from him at Chelsea. So maybe that's a sort of different role he plays in Croatia. It was very Frank Lampard sort of esque that um
0: Yeah, very much so coaching
1: yeah, poaching the um, goalkeeper. So and um yeah Enzo Fernandez we all know is brilliant and it was good to see him actually you know, he's not known for his score and that's not why Chelsea signed him, but it was good to see what he has in his locker when it comes to striking it from outside the box. Pulisic, you mentioned, he always does well for USA. You know, he's he's probably the strongest player, with, albeit I don't, I'm not going to say I watch USA every um, time they play. But, you know, on paper, he probably is. The, he's definitely their most, you know, um, well-known player and he's the sort of poster boy for the men's national team, which it's great for him and he, he loves playing for his country. You can tell about that every time he, he speaks about it. So yeah, he, I think he got, he got a goal in the first game and I think he got a goal in the second game as well. So that's great for him. I think it's a big few months for a couple of months now, between now and the end of the season for him, because we'll talk about it a bit more a bit later, but he's, he's one of those players who've got, not got that long left on their contracts and, um, will need to be addressed in the summer. And yeah, um, I mean, the the main thing is for Chelsea. You mentioned about Reece James, and that is, you know, that is the really overriding uh, negative from this international break. You'd say, as hopefully, fingers crossed, it's not too bad, and it is just a precaution. But it would be devastating if Reese was out for, you know, even if it was just a couple of weeks, it would be a real big blow for Chelsea. And we just pray praying that you can get back for those two legs against Real Madrid because he's shown. This season, but when his absence, when he's absent, his absence is really felt, and he's one of Chelsea's most important players. So Graham Potter will be absolutely desperate for him to come back, and obviously Kai Havertz as well. Hopefully, it's just a minor illness, and he can return. But I've, apart from that, I mean, again, fingers crossed. I don't want to jinx anything. If Chelsea can return with a almost fully fit squad from a two week international break in like the genuine business end of the season, then Potter will be happy and. You know the players scoring and assisting; that'll just come as a bonus.
0: Yeah, and obviously you alluded to uh, Noni Maduka and his kind of lack of involvement for Chelsea. Um, I think that's particularly been kind of intensified throughout March. We've seen Chelsea change formation. There's not as much room for winger, like a traditional winger, I guess. Um, with, I guess, Havertz and João Felix taking up two spots of a front three, and then the other figure tend to you know, move past them to kind of attack the lines, whether that be Sterling or Mikhaila Uh Chelsea do have a great deal of competition for that last spot. Obviously, Pulisic is in there, Mudrik, Sterling, and then you've got Madueke, and that's before you mentioned a more traditional striker, I guess. Um how do you see that playing out before the end of the season? You've mentioned the possibility of Pulisic's contract, putting him in the shop window in the summer. Mudrick um, and obviously, are obviously you know, settling into to the side and you want to see them kick on. And I guess you expect them to have bigger roles next season than they are at the moment, maybe. Um, April is going to offer some opportunity for rotation, uh, given the volume of fixtures. I know the the Man U clash has to be rescheduled because of the FA Cup involvement, but it's gonna be busy. I think there's three fixtures before Chelsea even play Real Madrid and that's only on the twelfth of April. Um how, how do you see that playing out and do you think a player like Madawek is gonna get more playing time? Obviously not in the Champions League squad and you know it, it is tight for that final place in the front three at the moment.
1: Yeah I wrote um I wrote something yesterday I think it was on Mudrick and um, about how, as ridiculous as it sounds in modern day football, you almost can't judge him for these from January to the end of the season because, well, because of circumstances, because he hadn't played football from November to January, he's come into a brand new country, a brand new league. Um, he's also what you got to realise is is why he came into a Chelsea team that was really bad, really misfiring, really out of form. LC um, obviously, has improved over the last four games or so but I think I think you could probably apply the same or similar logic to matterweki's obviously it's not a brand new country for him he is from England um switched to Holland but there's still an adaptation period and he despite him being at Spurs when he was younger he still hasn't played Premier League football and what Potter is good at is man management man management managing their minutes we, we've seen what he's done with Kukurea in the last well, took him outside for ages and he's come back in, he's looked at a different player. You probably say the same about Koulibaly, although there's still been a couple of iffy moments. He he is good at, I don't know if there's a word for it, but um, sort of just knowing when and when not to play players. And as frustrating as it is for Chelsea fans not to see the likes of modric and Madaweki more, I would think Potter Potter's... Um, He's very in, he's very intelligent at this sort of stuff, and I think that is one of his strengths. Uh, you can say what you want about him as a manager, but I think he I think he is um he's a very intelligent man. He does know he does know how to manage a squad, and he's got it because Chelsea have the most ridiculously big squad in the world, and um, so he's the right man in that respect. Yeah, Madueke, uh whether or not he plays that much between now in the end of the season, you could you could see it. Maybe again, I can't think of the top of my head, but whoever they i think it's wolves they faced before Real. the first leg is that right
0: yeah i think so yeah. i
1: think a, i think there's like a four-day gap or something um perhaps he'll get minutes there because like you said he's not in the Champions League squad and i'm not saying he's going to start at wolves because that seems very left out of the left field at the moment because he's barely played at all but you never know and he, he might get some minutes there because he can't be picked same with who has played more than Maduweki, but he's not in the Champions League squad. So you could potentially see them getting a bit getting a few more minutes in the Premier League. And yeah, that would be good. And the same goes with Modric. He obviously is in the Champions League squad. But I think he it, it was a bit of a surprise that he didn't play at all against Everton because he was um he had a mixed game against ri4 In the first half, he I don't think the role suited him. He sort of played as the number nine, what we saw from Sterling a few days before against Dortmund. Didn't really suit him. He um, struggled to get into the game. But then Chelsea changed their system and he went out to the left wing and he looked a different player. And that's to be expected, really. I mean, he is a left winger. Um, he had a lot more space there. You know, Leicester were attacking so the full-backs were going forward. There were a lot more chances on the counter-attack and he obviously got the assist and he was unlucky not to have himself a goal. He was marginally offside. So yeah i'm hoping we'll see more of mudrick but i'll be honest i really liked and i know it's one game but i really liked the front three against dortmund in the second leg um sterling as the number nine it wasn't a conventional number nine it wasn't wasn't even a false nine. i don't know what it was to be honest it was it was more of a it was almost like he was there to just allow habits and felix to play and it was very it's very selfless in a way from Sterling because he didn't he did score of course, but he didn't see much of the ball. And I mean when you think of Havertz playing up front, he, he likes to drop deep and get the ball and like to be involved in the game. And it was very different in that respect. But I like that. I like the way that Sterling sort of sat on the two Dortmund centre backs or in between the um, left centre back and the left back and just it almost takes two players out of the game or at least one and a half in a way. And then it allows Haberts and Felix to just sort of do their thing because them two are Chelsea's, you know, most technically gifted players with Enzo Fernandez and Colchic, of course, but attacking-wise, they are so good at what they do. And I think that's brought the best out of Haberts and Felix. I mean, against Everton, he was brilliant. Um, and you're hoping he can sort of continue that form. He'd score for Portugal in the break as well, which we forgot to mention about. Um, so we, we hope you can see a bit more of that from him between now and the end of the season so i would like to see because sterling did return to training yesterday i would like to see for um saturday at least should talk about a bit more later i would like to see that front free again because i think i think that would have been the same free if sterling had been fit um for for the leicester game a few days after dortmund i'm struggling to remember them but yeah i mean chelsea have got loads of options and we haven't I mean, mentioned ziek who like Pulisic is sort of, you know, he, he looks a lot more certain to go than Pulisic, especially after what happened in January, where he was so close to moving to PSG. He's almost, you know, I, I wrote a bit about the two weekend national break, sort of playing himself into the shop window almost because, yeah, he's not going to get many opportunities at Chelsea, even though they've got loads of games because the amount of options they have.
0: Yeah, and I think he's another one who's probably gonna fall victim to the change in formation. Um, he wasn't as favoured under Thomas Tuchel in the uh when they started with three at the back and the wing backs and again throughout March and since that Tottenham game in particular, I think he's fallen out of favour after, I guess somewhat unexpectedly becoming quite important for Chelsea, at least in terms of being selected for the starting eleven after that kind of deadline day move fell through. Um, one player who has played a lot during March, which has kind of been refreshing, is that man who scored two goals uh, for Croatia, Mateo Kovacic. Um He's had a, the season disrupted by, I guess, not injury as such, but managing issues. He's had a, a knee issue that kind of came through from pre-season. He was slow at a start when Chelsea were in the USA, and then I think he had a calf issue earlier this year after coming back from the World Cup and playing so many minutes on Croatia's route through the tournament. Um, I think many people perhaps thought that he kind of, not to question his commitment, but obviously that contrast between playing so much for Croatia in the World Cup and then struggling to find any momentum for Chelsea came into play. And now he, he started the last three games, played quite significant minutes, Um, his future is another one that's up in the air, kind of coming into the final year of his contract come the summer, no talks yet on the cards and uh, like I said, I don't think there's been a big push from either party yet but he's starting to form a little bit of a formation, uh, a bit of a formation, a bit of a relationship with Enzo Fernandez on the pitch and that's been another promising thing that we did see in March.
1: Yeah, I think, like you said, with Kovacic it's almost like from the majority of the season we've Seen like a half, 75% fit Kovacic and one you couldn't really play 90 minutes with. And that's obviously why his appearances were limited. But over the last month, I'd say, and obviously for Croatia um, last night, he looked back to his best, I'd say, or at least somewhere near the sort of midfielder we know he can be. Uh, Yeah, his his partnership with Enzo Fernandez is promising. I mean, I wasn't necessarily sure it would be the best thing, um on paper just because they're not they're not like amazingly similar but they're very both technically really good but both good ball carriers but i think they're actually they actually complement each other very well i think Kovacic is the man who likes to drive with the ball more and get chelsea out of some tricky situations whereas enzo is a guy who spread the spread to play more but there's definitely really promising signs there for a double pivot and i think I think as well, if Chelsea wanted to revert back to a three midfield, which Potter did sort of start a year up until this mini sort of run, um, then there's definitely scope for them to, to be the sort of wide center midfielders and then bring in, you know, there's an endless list of names at the moment, but a ball winning midfielder, someone of the Declan Rice mold or someone like that. Um, and I think that could work well. And obviously Kante as well. So but I think there's definitely, it's very promising that they've, they've been able to play this double pivot quite well. and But I do genuinely think that a midfield three might suit them better, but it's definitely really promising signs. And Kovacic is a weird one, because he's obviously really highly rated at Chelsea. I mean, he, he wears the armband a lot when so certain players are out, so you, you know he's highly rated. He, he's probably one of those few players you'd say has those leadership qualities at Chelsea, sort of have lacked, especially this season. Um, so for the club not to have opened talks to him yet, it probably is a bit surprising to fans, me, myself included. I think that is quite surprising, especially when you sort of consider top podium and new ownership group, how they've been wanting to sort of eradicate the mistakes of the past and allow players to go into the final years of a deal and potentially lose them on a cut price deal like we saw with Jorginho. In January, we saw Christian and Rudiger both left on freeze last summer. So, like I said, there's that group of players: Loftus Cheek, Mount, who we'll talk about, um, Pulisic, Kovacic. I'm, I'm forgetting people, but my point is, there's a group of players whose contract run out next summer that really do face a very defining couple of months on the pitch, and then a defining few months off the pitch. Because I can't imagine. Top Bodie would be too keen on keeping some of those players next season if they're not part of the plans and uh, the contract's up next summer. So it would be really interesting to see what happens with Govacic. Like you said, there's been no there's been no real um, push from either party yet, as far as we know. There's been links the last couple of days with Bayern Munich and Thomas Tuchel, but you know that, I'm not saying they're not true, but they're very easy links to make and Thomas Tuchel's going to be linked with every single Chelsea player um, who he managed in the next couple of months. So Always take them with a pinch of salt, but yeah, I mean, if I'm Chelsea, I, if I'm Chelsea, I'm I'm trying to get Kovacic to sign an extension. I think he's a I think he's a fantastic player. Inconsistency, yes, but I think this season in particular has been down to his fitness issues, and I think we've seen a fully fit Kovacic in the last month, and he's been he's been excellent.
0: Yeah, I think it's a really interesting one because I think Kovacic is 28, and I guess. Maybe there's some scope of this being as as last major contract, or you know, to be to be of the scale of what it might not be, say, in four years' time. Um, and this is obviously a new a new project at Chelsea, where they may not have European football at the moment, as it stands. And I guess this somewhat plays into the Mount situation as well. But I get you've obviously said you, you would. Think that Chelsea should perhaps open talks with Kovacic. Do you do you think that Chelsea are going to have an issue with some of these, you know, high-caliber players who have some experience, have been in the team a little while, who might not want to, I guess, risk not having European football next year, or at least if they come till the end of the season and don't have it, will will they be looking to get a move?
1: It's definitely something to consider. It's one I haven't really thought about too much, but. I think if, we, if we're to believe all the players have said in the press, they all have a genuine belief about this project, this long-term project, the top 30s, and by all accounts, Chelsea should be a lot better next season. Um, it's not always the case, might not be the case, but you look at the money they've injected in, and I, I mentioned about Mudrick and Madueke earlier. Next season is where they really should start, you know, showing their talents and Mudrick, from what we've heard and from what, you know, very limited clips I've seen. He does look like an in, incredible talent and it, some of these players, Enzo Fernandez is, you know, he's fit fitted in straight away and it looks like he's been playing in Premier League for years. Um same with a couple of others. Baddy Shields has been really good. Um Felix has showed at times that he is obviously a potentially world class player, but needs a bit more consistency. So I think I don't think it will be too much of an issue, I'll be honest. I think it I I think even if Chelsea did get Champions League football, if Kovacic wanted to leave, he would leave. I, I, I don't necessarily think it's too dependent on that, because a club like Chelsea, especially with the money they spend, it, it will be a short term absence absence from European football, if at all. So I, I don't think I don't think so. Um, not necessarily this time.
0: Yeah, and one player who. Does seem like he's going to extend his state at Chelsea, though we still wait for kind of any formal announcement of a new contract or the agreement being in place as Angolo Kante. He was on the bench as Chelsea faced Everton before the international break and has had a seemingly bit of a strict regimen during the international break in terms of his training at Cobham. He played, I think, 60 minutes in a friendly with some of Chelsea's youngsters who weren't on international duty against Charlton last Friday. And, you know... Chelsea have taken a very considered approach to players' return from injury, and I think in particular with Canté on this occasion, to, to really try and get a fully fit Canté back for the first time in what feels like forever. Um, I don't know whether we'll see him this weekend against Aston Villa, but touch wood, Chelsea might have Canté to call upon pretty soon, and how, how big is that for Graham Potter, who's not been able to utilise Canté other than on the bench against Everton so far?
1: Yeah, um, happy birthday as well. It's his 32nd birthday and he, he obviously listens to this podcast. So. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, it will be huge for him to come back. Even having him on the bench for Everton, even though he didn't come on, it was just a huge boost. And like when his name was read out, it was um, a lot of fans cheering. And you imagine the sort of reception he'll get if he comes on on Saturday against Villa, very much dependent, I think. Can't see him starting. So I don't think that's even a question. I don't think he'll start. Um, very much dependent on the scoreline. If Chelsea were, you know, in an ideal world, comfortably up with 10 minutes to go, then why not bring him on? If he's on the bench, he's obviously ready to have some minutes. It'll be so big for Chelsea because, like you said, he's not played under Potter yet, which is mental when you think of it, considering Potter took over in early September. And he is such an important player. And I think it's almost forgotten because of how long he's been out. He's he's a very unique footballer. He's, you know, we don't often see footballers as good as him as at what he does. He's a lot of people see him as just this guy who runs around, works really hard, wins the ball back on countless occasions. But I think he's, he's also a very smart footballer. His footballing IQ is very high. And we, we saw that in the, especially in the Champions League run in 2000 and in 2021. Um, some of his performances leading up to the final and then the one in the final like we're not going to see many better than that in a final of the champions league against man city it was just incredible and he he does that so often on a big stage as well with he, he never shirks when the you know when the stakes are high he's i think it i think he almost thrives in those big occasions he he's just a winner he's a he's a born winner and he he helps his sort of work off the balls well help so much. I think with like the likes of reese James and Ben Chilwell, even the centre backs, his other midfielders, because he can almost his sort of freakish running nature of how far he can run, he can almost double up on opposition attackers and make it so much harder for them. And it's difficult to see what sort of kante will get back because he has been out for you know, seven months and. He's had surgery on his hamstring and that is going to take some time to recover regardless of whether he plays, He's going to be rusty. But I'm just I'm just praying that we see a Kante sort of, anywhere near the level of what we know he can do because he is, of course, now 32. And, yeah, it's definitely so much to consider for Chelsea. I, I think that's why the, these contract talks have sort of been going on for so long and haven't been wrapped up yet. we 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 know they're like progressing well and they're close but i think it would have been a lot simpler if he was say 28 and hadn't had the injury problems he's had because even before the season i think last season he was he was out for a lot but it was more to do with like short-term muscle muscle injuries rather than this sort of big bulk that he's been out for now so he has a history unfortunately for him and Chelsea can't really afford to because he's on good money because because of how good he is. Chelsea can't really afford to give him another long-term contract now he's thirty-two. I mean that will be running until, what when he's 36, 37. because of how how he plays as well, how intense and physical he is. He, the you know logic would suggest that he would lose his leg, so to speak, quicker than most players because because that that's what he uh, that's what he relies on to an extent. Like he. He, like I said, he is a very smart footballer, but he does need these. He does need to be quick and nimble and strong on the ball. So there's there's a lot of things just to, to consider, and hope, hopefully, by all accounts, they should. But get it done sooner rather than later. So there's no sort of speculation in the summer. I mean, we can just preseason will be huge for him. Pre-season in the summer will be absolutely huge for him because it is like with these last few games. Say if he isn't as good, I don't think it's fair to really judge him because he'll still be recovering from such a horrible injury. So pre-season will be absolutely huge to make sure he has a really good season next year.
0: Yeah, and I think if nothing else, as you kind of hinted at with that Everton game, he's just going to be massive for the supporters in these next few weeks. It Certainly, as somebody who, who's watched a lot of Chelsea, it, it can be a lot more fun when Angolo Kande is on, on the pitch and he could change things for, like you say, the wing-backs the prospect of him and Enzo Fernandez in midfield together is really mouthwatering more and perhaps with Matt Kovacic as well and it'll be really interesting to see what Potter does for, for those big games because I think regardless of what kind of Kante we get back we are going to see one who has managed for the rest of the season as well and you know given his track record if he, if he can get anywhere near his best you you think he's probably going to be reserved for the, the biggest of games and there are a lot of them for Chelsea before the end of the season as well. Um, but as we are kind of have focused on the midfield a bit, and I know in the sort of last seven days you've written about what kind of players Chelsea might be looking for in midfield in the summer, I guess we should briefly touch upon that. Um, though the, the club obviously did make a massive, massive sign-in and bringing Enzo Fernandez to the club for more than £100 million. We, we, we do believe that they're, they're still interested in improving the midfield, whether that's because of the situation with the likes of Kovacic and Loftus-Cheek, I don't know. But but what what is the latest on the midfield? And I know you've obviously written about a, a couple of the options that the club have been looking at if they haven't decided exactly who they want yet.
1: Yeah, it was always the plan to um, improve the midfield this summer because... Even though Chelsea have spent so much in other areas, they have only really brought in one permanent central midfielder, albeit Enzo Fernandez, who's absolutely brilliant and costs over 100 million. But the, they also signed Zacario, which was a bit of a last-minute loan deal. So, I mean, whether or not that gets made permanent, we don't know. But i probably suggest not, to be honest, because he hasn't played that much football.
0: And um, Jorginho went in January as well.
1: And, of course, Jorginho went in January, yes. So, and with Enzo as well, he was almost, I'm not going to say a replacement for Jorginho because with, with no disrespect to Jorginho, I do think he's a massive upgrade. But it, in, in terms of personnel, where well, one goes out, one comes in and Chelsea are almost forced, um, I think it was always that plan anyway, but to go back in for Enzo because they had lost Jorginho to Arsenal. And you look at, you look, I think before we talk about targets, you look at the players who could leave, Loftus chic always seems to be linked with a move away, but with he'll have 12 months left on this deal in the summer, so it's a it's a genuine possibility that he could leave. Um, if you know Chelsea have got to start, got to get bleh, Chelsea has got to start getting some money back for um, all all of these players they've signed. So if you look at someone like Loftus chic who he has played a lot of minutes this season, but you probably wouldn't have him in Chelsea's strongest team, especially with a couple more signings then it is a genuine possibility that he could be sold. Um he's very you know, he divides Chelsea fans. I, I personally think he's a very good player. He's a very helpful squad member and we know he's been happy to do that um over the years. He's been more than happy because he loves Chelsea and he wants to stay but it, it might be a it might be a case where he has moved on this summer. And then you look at we mentioned Kovacic in an ideal world he doesn't go but he could go. And then you're then you're left with, you know, um as short as your midfielders and whether Chelsea play two in the middle or three in the middle, they're going to need they're going to need these central, mid, central midfield options and with Kante's injury history as well, which we just touched on, we can't really rely on him to play 38 Premier League games a season, yet alone all the Champions League and Cup games or whatever. So there's definitely, I, I think there's definitely going to be um, a move or two regarding midfielders in the summer and there's a few names as you know i all i've been told is just a short list whatever that is i don't know if it's actually a bit of paper with names on it <laughs> but we, we've heard a few names i'm probably going to miss them out now because it when it says shortlist it's not really that short it's uh Declan rice which is the obvious one everyone knows about it. and i think to the, at this point everyone's a bit sick of hearing it because it's you know it's a name that's been doing around over the last three summers maybe yeah. but it's you know it's still an option um
0: Awesome. I think people will be a bit more sick of Arsenal getting him at the end, though.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, all, all these people who don't want to hear his name, then if Arsenal get him, I guarantee they'll be even more annoyed. Um, Romeo Lavio is a really interesting one um, from Southampton. He only signed for Southampton last summer from Man City, I think. He was Man City's academy. He's really um, kicked on this season for Southampton, who, you know, have been poor by all accounts. And I mean, I'm not going to try and predict the relegation battle right now because it's absolutely mental, but uh, I would probably tip them to go down. And then he could obviously, you know, potentially be available for even cheaper, the Championship. I think City have got a buyback clause on him, but that doesn't come into action until next summer. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But I know Chelsea have watched him quite intensely. They've scouted him um, a lot this season. He is someone who... Looks like he fit the system. I was watching loads of sort of clips on him yesterday for an article I did. He's he's very aggressive with his pressing, almost Kanté like in that regard. He, he he sort of he's always on your if you're facing towards your own goal, he's always on your heels. If you're facing towards the goal, he's always sort of there. He, he's always in your face, and he's he's very physical despite not being the tallest player. Looks a real player, and he's also also very good on the ball as well, which you know. You're going to need, if you're in a Graham Potter team, as good as you are winning the ball back, you're going to need to keep it. So he's, he's definitely an option and someone Chelsea like. Edson Alvarez from Ajax is someone who sort of has just stayed on the club's radar since they um, missed out on him last summer. We like late-move. Uh, Amadou Anana from Everton. Again, it's it could, be, could definitely be an option, especially if Everton was to go down. Um, he could be available for cheaper. Chelsea have liked him this whole time. Um, I think they they were watching him before he went to Everton, and he sort of he has done really well at Everton, despite them not doing so well. So there's a whole there's a whole load of names out there. Um, it's difficult to predict what Chelsea will do. And what another one as well was just coming to my head. Alexis McAllister from Brighton, who he's a sort of different different midfielder to the ones we just named. But he's more of a number eight, and you know. It's an e- it's an easy link to make with Graham Potter and you know playing alongside his Argentine teammate Enzo Fernandez, but he is someone Chelsea really like, and he'll he will definitely not be short sure of interested parties this summer because he's he's had an outstanding season for club and country, and yeah, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see what Chelsea do, and one that's really difficult to predict, but but uh, I I can always guarantee you they'll sign at least one midfielder.
0: Yeah, and just came to my mind as you were speaking there. We shouldn't forget to mention Andre Santos, who hopefully yep. could be coming to the club during the summer, providing he can get his work permit. Uh, talking of international break boost, he made his senior debut for Brazil at the weekend. And that should go a long way to kind of fulfill in the criteria for that. So that's really promising as well. Um, but we'll stick with the, I guess, transfer theme. And I guess we move to Mason Mount. Uh, his feature, I guess, has been talked about all season, given that it was early set out by the kind of club hierarchy that he was a, a priority to to extend his deal. And we saw Reese James extend his early in the season and have been left waiting uh, for Mount in many regards. There's been lots of talk of, of Liverpool. And I know you obviously reported earlier this week that Liverpool are now look, kind of looking to firm up a possible bid in the summer. Um And now, and I guess as you kind of hinted to before, Thomas Tuchel has become Bayern Munich manager, I think, on Friday. And, you know, that that connection has has already been made. And I guess it's no surprise to see such high-caliber teams being interested in Mount. But I, I guess what I'm more interested in is this kind of contract impasse where... I guess Mount doesn't perhaps want to commit to Chelsea for as long as what the the deal on offer is. He maybe wants a little bit more money considering he's been undervalued in previous seasons, which I think is understandable. But, you know, both Chelsea not quite being so good this season then also Mount struggling to form this season has left both parties in, I guess, not as a strong position as what they would have been at the start of the season.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'll be honest if you had said at the start of the season if we we get to pretty much in april now and mount hadn't signed a deal then I, i've been surprised it very much looked like he would sort of towards the back end of last year but as months pass it's you know it's been become clear to sort of everyone that something's going on behind the scenes so we don't know every single detail but what we do know is there's still some way off in negotiations chelsea and mount and i was told that Chelsea want to offer him a set, seven years on top of what he already has, which would take him to 2031, I believe. And it's the sort of thing that they've been doing with their new sign-ins. It's obviously a strategy Todd Bowley likes, um, but Mount isn't as keen for that because that obviously gives him less sort of wiggle room for negotiating um, further contracts or if, you know, if something did come up, he, w- he would want to leave Stamford Bridge, and it would be more difficult for him. So it's understandable. On his part that he he didn't want to be tied down for so long and then on Mount's side as well he he wants to he wants some more luc- lucrative contracts which represents what he is in the squad what, how important it is to chelsea um he's shown that over sort of past couple of seasons i think he's one player of the, player of the season twice for chelsea already you I know mean, he really hasn't been in the first team that long when you think about it obviously this season's a bit difficult for him and i mean it's an easy conclusion to make but it could it could be down to the what's going on behind the scenes it, de- it definitely plays a part in players mind of course it does um and yeah i, I mean liverpool have just sort of been biding their time um always liked mountain as a player i was told klopp really likes mountains as a player so he's a, he's obviously an admirer but i don't think he would have even expected it to get to this situation um and now they're sort of they're almost ready in an offer to an extent for the summer that they've sort of moved forward a bit and would like Mount to sign him in the summer. And if, if Chelsea haven't sorted it out, if Chelsea and Mount haven't sorted it out, then, yeah, Liverpool will be right there to make a bid. And they, they think they could persuade Mount to come as well. At the moment, we're told he still wants to stay at Chelsea. That remains the same. Um, he wants to sort the contract situation out. And, I mean, he's been at the club since, I think, eight years old. So it's understandable. He obviously has a, he has a big... Um, Big love for the club, the, you know, the squad, the people around, Cobham, everything. So, um, But I think Potter mentioned it the other week. It's a big time for Mount and his family. So it's, you know, it's going to be his first mega contract, so to speak, of his career. He's 24 now, and it, it, it's probably going to take him up until he's 30. So it's a big contract. and. Yeah, Liverpool are definitely the front runners at the moment. I, I personally haven't heard anything about Bayern Munich, not discounting it at all. But it wouldn't surprise you because we know um, Tuchel loved Mount. He played him all the time, and he was sort of an ever-present figure in his side. And um, it, it wouldn't surprise you if he, if he's of course interested in him. But at the moment, Liverpool have done the most groundwork, and the, both Manchester clubs apparently like him. Liverpool seem to be the ones um, in the lead, so to speak. And I think a big thing as well is Jürgen Klopp wants someone to come in and be a a number eight in his midfield, midfield three. And I'd imagine that is an assurance he'd give to Mount. He he, he would say, you're my my guy, you're a number eight. Um, It won't be the only midfielder Liverpool sign if that is the case. They, They want to add at least two apparently, but that would be... That would be big for Mount, I think, to have sort of guarantee over his role in the squad. And it effectively, Liverpool are going to need a brand new midfield next season because well, because we've all seen what's happening this season and all the criticism of the midfield. So it would almost be a, a new look midfield and Mount would be one of the main guys for that. And I think just valuing him like that would, you know, that could persuade him.
0: Yeah, I think... Obviously, Mount has become this divisive figure, particularly on Chelsea Twitter circles. But what I think is really scary about this situation that, that has kind of come forward is that, you know, for, for the kind of people who can afford, I guess, what Chelsea and Mount would want, you are looking at Premier League teams seeing, yes, not this season, but one of your top, top players go to a Premier League rival is just kind of like a scary thought if if you're kind of in charge at Chelsea, I think. And then secondly, I guess the scary thought would be, well, if Mount does want to kind of ensure he gets this great contract that he has not been offered, is what happens if he just decides to run his contract down like Rudiger and Christensen inevitably did? And and that's scary um, because then you're not getting any fee for what is like a, a world-class player.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, uh, that's what why, why I think as well. Um, it's a good point. That's why I think Chelsea are going to have to do something this summer, regardless of what... If, if the contract situation is the same as it is now, they're going to have to do something this summer because, like you said, they could probably still get 50, 60 million from him this summer, which, you know, they they might value him higher, but the reality of the market is Liverpool or any other club could wait another 12 months and get him for nothing. So... Chelsea will have to do something this summer if he hasn't signed. And I think top Bodie will, I think, I think that's one of, we haven't seen it as of yet with player sales, but I think he's going to want to be more decisive than perhaps Roman and in the former board were.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I guess on the alternative, um, we have seen a new contract this week, um, I don't know whether it's a surprise or not really, but Marcus Bettinelli has extended his deal by, I think, three years. Um, and his contract was due to expire at the end of this season. Um, I guess the, the, the role of a, a third goalkeeper, albeit he's been second choice most of the season due to various injuries and stuff, was quite a unique one. He always seems pretty positive and you know, engaging in the training footage that we see and, and the brief snips of training that we're allowed to attend um, ahead of the Champions League games. And he obviously seems quite content in this role. Again, as you noted earlier, he mentioned the Chelsea project um, being really an exciting time at the club. And, you know, I guess he seems to be a perfect candidate for the role that has been set out for him so far, even if he has just played one game for Chelsea in his time so far.
1: Yeah, exactly. I I saw a lot of um, people... On Twitter, who I follow sort of questioning Chelsea giving him a three year contract. But I think if you've got a professional who's happy to be a third choice goalkeeper, then you're doing well. One like Marcus Bettinelli, who is happy to, you know, he might even be fourth choice if Gabriel Sanina has more of a role next season. We don't know. Um, so if he's happy to do that, then I think by all means do it. I think, you know, it's, it's hardly the most exciting bit of business Todd Dodie's done so far, but I think it's, you know, it's a clever bit of business and one one that can't really be criticised too much because, you know, you need three goalkeepers. Even just for training, you need three goalkeepers. It's, it's something that every squad requires. So, yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's much more to say really than just a smart piece of business and one that had to be done.
0: Yeah, I think as you, you kind of noted about Selena, I think, it's maybe a sign that his him committing for three years is that though Chelsea have this, I guess vast collection of young goalkeepers is that they just don't want them sitting around kind of not playing football, getting them an opportunity yeah. to play football is obviously really important. Right. Um, and obviously then you have Kepa and Mendy who have been kind of main two goalkeepers at Chelsea. I think they both see their contracts set to expire in 2025. Um, that is obviously a little way off yet, but come the summer, it'll reach that two-year mark that we're kind of given to believe that the new hierarchy, though they not that new anymore, the hierarchy, uh, don't want to see contracts get to. Do you think we'll always refer
1: to them as new? I think we will.
0: <laughs> probably, uh, probably. I,
1: I went to write newly appointed to Graham Potter earlier, and I was like, That's <laughs> not really, is
0: it? <laughs> um, so there could be a decision to make on those guys in the summer, whether that be... New contract or pr- potential sale. Um, that is sure to be a debate that kind of accelerates in the coming weeks. Though for the moment, there aren't many contracts that run out in 2024, that's probably the priority yeah. uh, until they can get on top of that. Um, and I guess as we reach the 45 minute mark, we should maybe look to Aston Villa and the return of Premier League football. Um, it's not going to be an easy task for Chelsea. On the return. Um, obviously, I guess few games have been easy for Chelsea uh over the course of this season. But this is a villa team that have kind of been resurgent. Um, I think they won 3-0 in now a last out in before the international break. And obviously they are a team that is not too far away from Chelsea in the table. Um, in that they are level on points and Chelsea only lead them by I think five goals on goal difference, uh, 10th versus 11th. How do you, how do you see this weekend, Bobby? What, what are you looking forward to seeing? And I guess, how big of a challenge will Villa bring?
1: Yeah, they'll, be, they'll bring a challenge. I think it'll be a close game. Um, we're a completely different sort of side to what we saw at Villa Park in October. They obviously got Unai Emery now and uh, Stephen Jarrell at them And, he, he has that he's done a decent job. I think it's gone under the radar a bit. Um, you know, when he took over, they were sort of in the uh, midst of the relegation battle potentially, and they're you know that they're sort of comfortably above it now and should you know remain in the league and look to kick on. To be fair, they'll they'll be um, they'll be looking to obviously climb above Chelsea this weekend. Uh, they're they're a decent side. I think uh, I think any Emery side to watch is always quite an entertaining one. It's always a brave one. It's always one that. It's going to come and try and play football. They're going to try and suffocate you up the pitch, and you know um, look to pounce on any mistakes. So it'll be interesting to see how Potter manages that, how how he's going to you know fare against a high press inside um, in Villa, and then obviously they got Liverpool a few days later as well. So for two similar tests in that regard, um, so it'll be interesting to see what he does, uh, how if he changes at all the system that's been you know, um, used in the last four games and that for the large part has done well. I mean, against Everton, it was a bit of a slip-up, but I think there were still bits in that game where Chelsea looked good and their attacking play looked a lot better than it has at points this season. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. Um, yeah, I, I, I think Chelsea will win the game. I think it's always difficult after an international break. You don't really know what... Because if Chelsea did have any sort of momentum, then it almost halts it, doesn't it? And it's difficult to see what if they can carry it on or it's going to take them a while. But it, you know, it's the same with both sides, so it's it's not just Chelsea you've got this problem. But yeah, I, I do think Chelsea should win the game. Um, they've got the players to do it. They've got players who are continuously improving, and yeah, hopefully we'll hopefully we'll see a comfortable Chelsea win. Although I think it'll be a I think it'll be a tight win.
0: Yeah, I think you you've got to hope that Chelsea don't kind of allow Villa the same opportunities they did Everton. Um I think Ollie Watkins has scored something like six goals in his last eight games has so been absolutely on fire for Villa and obviously one of Chelsea's real strength over the course of the whole season has been their defensive record. Um but you've you've got to avoid those mistakes that I, I think I spoke about this with Adam um, the other week is Potter perhaps a slight bit of frustration with the errors that occurred in that Everton match perhaps for the first time and he'll be really hoping that the Chelsea don't you know kind of impose self-harm in that regard when you are facing such a difficult task already
1: yeah of course and it, it was it was a bit out of character so to speak um, with the one thing that has sort of remained consistent even throughout the sort of difficult spell they had towards the start of the era has been the defence. I'm not saying it's been perfect, but it's been largely good and it's been more of an attacking problem. But you've got to hope Everton's a one-off because there were, there were a couple of mistakes that were poor. I thought I the thought defending for um, Everton's late equaliser was really poor from a couple of players. And yeah, I'm sure Potter would have drilled into their heads what they need to do and uh, how they're going to come up against a you know a completely different proposition in Aston Villa to Everton. They weren't defenders deep. They weren't sort of, you know, sit in a low block like um, Everton did, but they'll, they'll still be looking to hit Chelsea in my counter-attack. And it's all, for Chelsea, it's all about finding the right balance, as it is with every game.
0: Yeah, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of team Chelsea put out at the weekend, I think, Almost a lot of players who could be back from injury, but also a lot of players who might not be fit enough to return. I think obviously Reese James we mentioned, uh, Wesley Fafana had to pull out of the the front squad, didn't he? And then uh, Sterling, we've seen back in training, Eduard Mendes has been, been in training. Uh, Mason Mount still out, I know. I think he was watching that in the Cante friendly with a cante shirt on last week, but we've not really seen him, any images of him training yet. Asper Leclerc could perhaps be back and then obviously Havertz we noted earlier as well I think still still early for for Thiago Silva though um, so it will be interesting to see what kind of team Potter picks especially with you know those big trips for the likes of Enzo Fernandez and yeah we've seen in the past how, how players have been rested after these big trips but
1: it, it also the game against Liverpool on Tuesday as well it might come into his consideration a bit when you said about Enzo Um is, is a massive trip from South America, so whether or not he starts him, it, it, it's hard to sort of picture a Chelsea side without him at the moment, but it might be for, you know, the overall game to start him on the bench, see how Chelsea do, and if they need him, bring him on, but you, you think you'd rather see him against Liverpool if you had the choice of one.
0: Yeah. Do, do you think he will start against Villa? I think he
1: will. I think he will, even though I just said that. I, I I, Yeah, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't be at all surprised if he started on the bench, but I do th- I do think he will start. I think he has it in him to do both games. I think he'll want to as well, more importantly. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be at all shocked if we see him come on in 60 minutes, if it's, you know, goalless or if Chelsea just want him to see the game out and pass it around, then, you know, who's, who better to bring on?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And... I guess we'll, we'll wrap things up there. Um, we'll be back again next week, hopefully, to talk about Chelsea win against Aston Villa and maybe squeeze in a bit of a preview for that big Liverpool clash as both teams try to, you know, salvage something from the Premier League season still after a difficult time so far. Um, thank you for joining me this afternoon, Bobby, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Please do leave a review and subscribe if you've enjoyed uh, what you've listened to so far and uh yeah we'll speak next time uh thanks for listening